Now, a few years ago, we carried out a survey of about 120 people uh, that we bumped into on the streets of Old Street in Clerkenwell, asking them this question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And you can imagine there are a whole range of uh, responses. The second most popular one after the suffering question was this. Why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Why doesn't God make himself more obvious? It's pretty obvious I exist. You can see me right now. You can hear my voice. Shake my hand afterwards. Obvious I'm here and I exist. But why is it that when it comes to God, he seems so much more elusive? That hidden distance. Why does he make it so hard to believe in him so that as you come to church this afternoon in 2023, there are so many different religions and worldviews and explanations as to why we're here and what life is about. Could be someone here and you would describe yourself actually as an atheist. I mean, you're coming to church to look into things, but you think to yourself, I just don't believe God's there. Perhaps you're agnostic. You think there's, I don't know. There's, there's no way you can know for sure if God's there and what he's like. Even if you take those people who do believe in God, right? Christians, those of us here are Christians at a church. Jews, Muslims, all of those within a monotheistic religion, so they believe there is one true God. Incredible divergence between those three religions. You could have a Hindu background, believe in multiple gods. Buddhist, believing in the teaching and philosophy of of Buddha, folk religion, Jediism, which I think started off as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke religion, right, based on the Force and Star Wars and Jedi. It's now an official religion, according to New Zealand statistics, and you're, you're smiling a little bit, you know, maybe have a bit of a chuckle, but, like, who's to say otherwise? If, at the end of the day, we're all in this, like, closed system of the universe, and, you know, like, here's the Earth, and here's you and I, and here, and we're sort of trying to make sense of life, but we can't sort of get out of space-time to see if there is a God there, he, she, it, whatever. We can't go back before the creation of the world to see what was there. So at the end of the day, if we're living in this closed system, is it all just guesswork? Is it all just speculation? Is it all just a stab in the dark? And how arrogant of anyone to suggest, you know, I've got the true religion and I know what God's really like. Oh, and you're definitely wrong. Why doesn't God make himself more obvious? I mean, it's really frustrating. We want to know why we're here. We want to know what life's about. And if God hasn't made himself obvious, then perhaps there's always going to be some doubt in our mind. Some holding back, some indecisiveness, a foot in both camps. Never really sure you know, what this wonderful thing of life is all about. Well, we have good news here in John 1, 14 to 18, because God does not want us to live our lives like that. We're going to see today that God doesn't just want us to know he exists doesn't just want us to know what he is like, but wants us to have the confidence and assurance that can only come from knowing him personally. That's where we're going to go today. Verse 18, have a look. This is where it ends. This is the prologue of John, the, the, the climax and the culmination of this opening section where we read in verse 18, if you just glance down, no one has ever seen God. I think we all agree on that. 
But the one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, there's the intimacy, has made him known. Not just known intellectually, known personally. Knowledge in the Bible is always relational. You and I can know God personally today. Let's find out how. First, notice how God has made himself known, made himself obvious to humanity. Verse 14, the starting of our reading. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. For those of you here last week, do you remember the word that we were introduced to in verses one to four, the very start of the gospel, the divine eternal word who was with God and was God in the beginning through whom all things were made in whom was was life itself. And now we're told in verse 14 that this divine word has became flesh. That has become a human being. God being born into the world so that we could know him personally, relate to him as a human, fellow human being. Think of our words. Think of how they're how important they are to us in the way we communicate to one another, understand each other, how words reveal something of who we are. You're just picking it up at the moment, just from my words coming out of my mouth, a little bit who I am and how we relate to one another. Here in verses one to five is the divine word who perfectly reveals God, the perfect expression and revelation of him. And 2,023 years ago, without losing any of his divinity, he took on the fullness of humanity. So as you look at the person of Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine, God has been finally made fully known. And you can know he exists for sure and know what he is like. And you can almost hear the excitement in the author's voice in verse 14. You know, we have seen his glory, we, John, the apostle, the other apostle, we have seen his glory of the one and only son who came from the Father. God has made himself obvious in the person of Jesus Christ. The author and academic C.S. Lewis once made the point, if there is a God who created the world and created us, you and I could no more meet him or know him than Hamlet could meet and know Shakespeare. Or J.K. Rowling, or sorry, Harry Potter, to meet and know J.K. Rowling. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, but what if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story? What if he himself became a character in the play? Well, then Hamlet could know Shakespeare and meet him and know him personally. And John is saying that is exactly what the God of the Bible, the God of the universe has done for humanity. He's written himself into the story, his story, history, so we could meet him and know him personally. Now, I know this all happened two millennia ago, so perhaps you would have preferred Jesus to have been born in this lifetime with you now, or perhaps you go back 2,000 years ago and see him then. We'll think about more of that in the series. But either way, it does not make God any less real or any less knowable whatever time in history he chose to be born a human being and live and die. 
We have the gospel accounts of Jesus' life today. We have the gift of the Spirit so we can know the risen Lord Jesus personally today. We have the hope of Christ's return because of the resurrection from the dead when one day everything will get put right and we will see Jesus face to face again. God is not distant. God is not silent. God is not hidden. Far from it. God wants each and every one of us here this afternoon, wherever we're, to know him personally. Don't know if you ever saw the BBC documentary called um, The Gatwick Baby. This is about 10 years ago now. As the name suggests, it was about a baby who was abandoned at birth at Gatwick Airport. And in the documentary, we meet this baby who's now 24 years old, an adult man, Stephen Hydes, and he is desperately trying to find and locate his biological parents. And in the documentary, you see him making pleas on TV, Mum, Dad, if you are there, please call me. And they put ads in the newspaper, and the makers of the documentary are trying every effort to reach out to find them so they can reunite them. But by the end of the documentary, there is no response. Um, no getting in touch off the back of the pleas and the adverts. And it's just really sad and it's just really tragic because here is this guy who desperately wants this relationship with his biological parents. But for whatever reason, we're not told why, you know, he can't have one and they remain elusive. Now, I don't know if sometimes you think about that when it comes to God. God, are you really there? Do you really love me? Do you want a relationship with me? Where are you? And what John 1, 14 to 18 is telling you, he is right here. And he loves you. And yes, he absolutely wants relationship with you. That's why the Father has sent the Son 2,000 years ago to be born into this world, fully human and fully divine. So you can know he exists, you can know what he's like, and so you can have relationship with him. This, by the way, is unique to Christianity. Did you notice in verse 14, John's emphasis on Jesus being the one and only son? So it's only Jesus Christ who makes God fully known in this way. In no other religion is God born into the world as a human being. In no other religion can you relate to God in such an intimate and personal way as you can through Jesus Christ. And I think this is something that's really vital for us to grasp, especially in an age now where we are told that all religions are basically the same, that we're all on maybe different pathways you know, up the mountain, but at the end of the day, we're all climbing towards the same God. And of course, there are similarities between the different world religions, absolutely. But we need to be intellectually honest that there are many irreconcilable differences between them as well, particularly when it comes to the identity of Jesus Christ, his person, his work, who he is. We're gonna see in this gospel later on, the Jewish establishment accused Jesus of blasphemy for claiming to be God. The Jewish religion today denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Muslims too would adamantly reject the divinity of Christ. As one of my Muslim friends used to put it to me, God is immortal, 
and therefore cannot die. Jesus died. Therefore, Jesus isn't God. You ever heard that? God is immortal and cannot die. Jesus died, therefore Jesus isn't God. And when you first hear it, you think, well, that logic's pretty compelling. But actually, closer examination realizes it fails to deal with the fact that Jesus Christ has two natures in one person. He is fully human and fully divine. And his human nature can certainly die as he gets tired and hungry and thirsty. His divine nature can never die. What does that mean? When you are looking at Jesus Christ, you are truly seeing God in all his glory. When you listen to Jesus Christ in the pages of scripture, you are hearing the very voice of God speaking to you. And if you know Jesus Christ, but if you have a relationship with him, you trust in Jesus, you know God, your creator, personally. Because Jesus Christ makes God fully known. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who's himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You and I can know God personally today through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Begs the question, what does that relationship with Jesus Christ look like? Let's move on secondly to what God has revealed about himself. What has he made obvious? And we can see it there at the end of verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus reveals around the father. We see it again in verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What's that mean? We'll have a look at it in a second. And again in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing for us to notice here is the fullness of God's revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. Because, of course, God has been communicating to humanity through his creation from the beginning of time. Listen to these words from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. It's why deep down, in every human heart is this sense that there must be something more to life. Because God is speaking in a sense through his entire creation, through our consciences. King Charles once put it like this, for all the advances of science, there remains deep in the soul a persistent and unconscious anxiety that something is missing, some ingredient that makes life worth living. It is God speaking to us, reaching out to us, in creation, in conscience, what theologians call God's general or natural revelation. The difference here with Jesus is now the fullness and finality of this revelation. That in the person of Jesus Christ, you get to see God in all his glory. You get to see him full of grace and truth. That is what he is like, full of truth, so he's completely trustworthy. Came across an interview with Robbie Williams the other day. Do you remember Robbie Williams, ex-member of Take That, went on a solo artist and, I don't know, multi-platinum selling pop star. Anyway, he was on this podcast, and I was quite intrigued because he was sort of getting quite philosophical around the nature of truth and trustworthiness. Anyway, listen to this. We're in a post-truth world where you can't believe the media. You can't believe Big Pharma. You can't believe politicians. You can't believe what you're eating. You can't believe yourself. 
If at any time since we've existed there is a time where this whole empire could fall, it's now. Of course, these things are going to arise because we can't trust anybody or anything. I personally just believe and invest in my wife, my kids, and my family. Yeah, I believe in them. Now, look, I don't know if you believe or agree much with that statement or not, but it struck me because I think we all feel something right now of that sense of distrust in certain people and certain institutions when they are playing so fast and loose with the truth. And with things that certainly for the last thousand years have been known to be true, right versus wrong, good versus evil. Who can we trust now today? Who really has our best interests at heart rather than just looking out for themselves? And here in the person of Jesus Christ, and we'll see this as we see it played out in the gospel, he is full of truth, so he's completely trustworthy. Jesus doesn't just point to the truth about God. Jesus doesn't just speak words of truth about God. Jesus Christ, in his very being, in his very person, is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is truth personified and so completely trustworthy. And why billions of people around the world have put their trust in him. Why the atheist Bertrand Russell even said, if we all lived like Jesus did, the world would be paradise. Because as Jesus lived his life with his words, his deeds, This is just the introduction. We'll get to meet Jesus some more. You'll just see truth, goodness, beauty just flowing out of him. He's full of truth. And not just is he full of truth, he's also full of grace, which means we can be absolutely sure of his love and acceptance of us. Full of grace. I have to say that I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years now. I reckon it is this part of the Christian message which people consistently struggle with what it means for Jesus to be full of grace and I include myself in that to recognize just how much he loves us just how much he forgives us just how much he accepts us through faith in Jesus Christ and ultimately nothing to do with our own moral or religious performance I've come across many many people who simply cannot believe that God would love someone like them often because of something they've done in the past and some guilt that is weighing down upon them. And they think for them there can be no way back for God, or at least they are very unsure of it. I know those who know God is gracious, know God loves them, know God forgives them, but they think that they need to sort of keep on earning God's ongoing grace. These are sort of keeping God's good book by their moral performance, by their religious obedience. And so as soon as they put a foot wrong in church or they fall into some sin at work or perhaps grow up and their children have fallen away from the Lord, suddenly think that God doesn't love them in the same way and they're not as, as accepted and they're not as valued as they were before. But Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is just overflowing with never-ending grace. Still others I know who believe God is gracious, believe God loves them and accepts them, but they are yet to really appreciate the sheer depths of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just how free, full, abundant it is. And so they're still anxious and lacking joy in their heart. They are unsure about their relationship with God. 
They still sort of have one foot in two camps when it comes to living the Christian life. And I don't know if that's you as you come here. This, I mean, once I said before, we are all struggling to realize just how much God is for us. And so please, please, can we all see what verse 14 does not say? Verse 14 does not say that Jesus is full of judgment and condemnation. Jesus does not say full of disappointment and his back turned on you and a frown upon his face. It says Jesus is full of grace and truth. Nor does it say Jesus is only partly gracious, only a little bit gracious, only gracious when you perform morally and religiously, only when you deserve it, which doesn't make any sense because grace by definition is undeserved because you don't deserve a free gift, you just receive it. And it's just flowing from Jesus freely all the time. Receive him, receive his grace, receive his grace. No matter how far you wander from him, no matter how far you fall, whatever that thing is that you're thinking of in the past, whatever you've done, he is still for us. Who, O Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea, your grace is deeper still. I mean, do we believe that? Do you believe the fact that you and I can never exhaust the inexhaustible depths of God's riches towards us in Jesus Christ? No matter how much we sin, there's always more grace. No matter how much we sin, there's always more grace. No matter how much we fall, there's always more to pick us up, to restore us, to love us, to forgive us, to empower us afresh in his spirit. Come to him. Don't hold back. Confess your sin to him. He'll forgive you. Trust in him. And he'll increasingly transform you into the person he always intended you to be. Now, God's grace was revealed in part in the Old Testament. I said I'd come back to verse 16, verse 17. This is what it's like, grace already in place of grace. There was grace in the Old Testament. There's more in the New Testament. For the law was given through Moses. It was gracious of God to give his standard in the law, his direction, his requirements for obedience, but as well as the sacrificial system for when we fell short, because none of us can keep the law. But the blood of bull and goats in the Old Testament could never deal with sin once for all. That is something only Jesus can do. And that's what something Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. As his hands and feet are nailed to the cross and he pays for our sin in our place. And his arms are opened up in love and acceptance of all those who would come to him and believe and trust in him. Come to him, trust in him. And if you're already doing so, know how loved and accepted and forgiven you are. So, why hasn't God made himself more obvious? Well, look, John 1, 14 to 18 would say he has. He's made himself obvious in the person of Jesus Christ who's full of grace and truth. And there's nothing arrogant about this because it's not something that the church or Christians have worked out for themselves. This is something that God has revealed to us and the whole of humanity. And so that means that there is great confidence and reassurance that can be found here in the existence of God and what he is like through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who has made God fully known. And so my hope and prayer for Tom, for all of us here, through this series, the week ahead, we would get to know this Jesus more personally and grow in our relationship with him every single day. So let me pray that for us now.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for this opening prologue in John's gospel, these very famous verses. And we thank and praise you that in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, you have made yourself fully known. Not just that you exist, not just what you are like, full of grace and truth, but that we can know you personally, despite our sin, despite our heart being prone to wonder, that you always continue to reach out to us. You truly love us, truly forgive us, truly transform us. I pray you'd reassure each of our hearts of this truth about you. And wherever we're coming from today, each of us would get to know Jesus better in the week ahead. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.